Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active licensed and men's package tees. Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off. But hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 215 to 216 excludes in-store clearance and baby. Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me sales. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wasn't a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given me. What were you reporting? Jesus Christ, you bet. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Hope your weekend's going well. It's Sunday. I know, uh... Preseason's almost over with, and the regular football season is starting, and I can't wait for that. I got a great show planned for you tonight. I have two guests that I'm bringing on. My first guest is Skip, and he's from Texas. He's a pastor down there in Texas. He had an encounter back in 1987. I want to say he was in his late teens when he had this encounter, and it's a very fascinating encounter. It's a Sasquatch that burst out of the bushes and then took off at a ridiculous speed. And as you listen to the encounter, it makes you wonder, was the Sasquatch sitting there watching him the whole time? Or was it 
uh, did he cro- was he just at the right place at the right time and they cross paths. My second guest tonight is Jack McCarty and he's the author of Bigfoot Evidence I Cannot Deny It. It's a short book but it's a very interesting book because Jack puts in there a lot of the pictures he's taken with tracks, he shares a lot of his evidence and he shares a lot of his encounter stories as he will tonight. A very fascinating book if you get a chance check it out it's on amazon.com again it's called bigfoot evidence i cannot deny it by jack mccarty you know as jack and i were talking the other day one thing i wanted to share with the audience one of the things you know you hear a lot of these bigfooters they go out and they try and mimic bigfoot calls we've seen it on finding bigfoot you hear a lot of bigfoot researchers talking about it and actually how jack had his encounter is how I would imagine you would actually call in a Sasquatch. Uh, Sasquatch is a predator. Make no mistake about that. It's at the highest level of predator out there. And what Jack was actually doing was he was doing these calls of a wounded animal, wounded bear, wounded rabbit, and that brought in the Sasquatch in a couple of his encounters. And so it made me think, you know, you can get a lot of these calls. You can buy them down at your local sports place you know you can get the wounded rabbit you can get the wounded bear and you can do these calls while you're out there so if any of you are out there listening and you're wanting to bring in a sasquatch i'd recommend going and getting one of these wounded animal calls i would do it near water and i would go out and try and do some of these calls i'm going to try it myself uh, but please 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 if you go out there and do this please go armed uh, because you may bring in other predators too as well because uh, they're looking for all predators are looking for easy meals. And when they hear these calls, they'll come to you. Uh, and there's more than just Sasquatch out there that can get you. But if you get a chance, try it out. I'm going to try it out. Might even take my handy cam out and post it up on the blog. See if I have any success with it. Speaking of the blog, if you go to SasquatchChronicles.com, uh, last week I've been trying to post more videos. Uh, Even with my ugly mug, I've been trying to uh, post more videos on there. And I did an interview with Trey McAllister. He went out to a property, found footprints, found a ton of hair, found twisted trees, sent me photos of all of all of the evidence that he collected. I invited him to come on. We did a quick YouTube video, showed his evidence. He talked about where he collected his different pieces of evidence around this property. Uh, so if you get a chance, check that out. One of the other things I posted as as a video, the Browns had sent me this photo. I've had it in my possession for a long time, uh, but Sarah said it was okay to go ahead and post it. And it appears to be, I'll say, a figure popping its head above the brush. It kind of looks like a gorilla popping its head above the brush. Uh, but if you get a chance, check that out too. I posted that uh, Friday uh, on the website, sasquatchchronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me, wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Well, I want to welcome Skip to the show. Uh, Skip, thanks for coming on tonight, man. I appreciate it. Uh, oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, excited to be able to uh, talk about this. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. Now, your encounter happened out there in Texas, is that correct, back in 87? Yeah, we, uh, I live in 
a place in Texas. If you if you look at a map where the Gulf Coast, where Texas curves the whole way down the Gulf of Mexico, we live just about exactly a little less than halfway down. They call it the coastal bend because of that. But it, we're about 30 miles off the coast. And uh, grown up here all my life, and we have, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of oak, oak tree type woods around the rivers and stuff. But then there's a lot of the what you would think of South Texas, which is cactus and thorny mesquite trees, and a lot of, a lot of real, real tough country. Yeah, it is tough country down there. Now you were what eighteen, nineteen at during the time. Right, I was, uh, I was. Uh, about 19 years old, uh, we have, uh, I've always hunted and fished my entire life, uh, a lot of my friends as well, uh, and we have, right outside of town, is a creek uh, that basically runs for a lot of miles, and, and they ended up making a reservoir uh, out of this too, but this creek is is a very uh, seasonal flow type creek. You know, when it gets really hot in the summer, it kind of dries up to where there's just pools and things. But then, you know, sometimes in the year it's moving, you know, quite a bit. But the what makes this such a different thing is it's got very sandy bed. Uh, it, and it, it's almost like a beach, very light-colored sand. In fact, a lot of the golf courses actually come down to this area to get a lot of sand for the sand traps and stuff. And, and, uh, so we would take our Jeeps down there, uh, ATVs down there and ride on the sand a lot. You know, we would fish there, swim and some, I mean, it was just one of those areas where a lot of high school kids and college kids would go for, uh, you know, just for fun. Big groups of people would go there. I got you. So, so kind of walk us into what you were doing and, and just walk us right okay. into the encounter. Well, what we what I did was it was probably late summer. I actually uh, was going down there sort of on a date, believe it or not, and had kind of done this thing with a picnic where I had some food and, and uh, you know, basket and stuff like that. And But what, what happened was, for a long time, you were able to take your vehicle down on the sand, like I was talking about. But at some point, uh, I guess some people complained or something, and they put these giant concrete barriers up to where you could not uh, drive down there anymore. So what happened is if you wanted to go down there, you had to park up by where there was a bridge and then walk down under the bridge and then down wherever you wanted to go. So that's what we did. It's hard to try to explain this in words, but where the creek is and the very sandy area is spread out for, oh, man, you know, 150, 200, 300 yards at some point. And then on both sides, it, the land rises up probably 12, 15 feet to the regular, you know, pasture and ground areas where there's fences and they keep cattle and stuff like that. And where we parked, we walked up on the top part probably for a while, and then we went down the bank and across a really wide, beachy area, and there was a good spot that I had fished several times before and, and kind of set up the 
the little area there, and this was probably already, you know, probably about seven seven fifteen. So it was an hour before the sun went down. So it was a little cooler, you know, because uh, I mean it's brutal hot here in August. You know, just out there, you know, eating stuff like that, and started getting dark, and I uh, started kind of gathering some stuff together, and she she stepped away for a second to you know, take, have to go to the restroom or something like that. And I just, I said, Hey, I'm going to take a load up to my, up to my uh, Jeep up here. So I grabbed a big armful of, of stuff and I think I had a cooler and some other stuff and started walking. Well, to get back up to the, to the high area, there was probably a, a empty space of sand that was, Oh man, at least 75 yards across, if not, if not, maybe even a little bit more. And it was just very, no, no bushes or anything in this area. It was just a sand bed. And I just started across that. And, uh, I kind of heard like a, I guess a grunt, maybe, uh, like an exhale, but it was just real deep sounding and it made me stop. And, I just instantly wrote it off as maybe a, a bull or a cow up by the fence line because they were all around everywhere. And uh, I just wanted to make sure there wasn't one loose down there with me because some, some, I've been chased by a couple of bulls, and that's no fun. Um, but I kind of looked and didn't see anything, so I started again. And I heard it again, but this time... I looked up, and from the area where I was walking to, to go up, something kind of just burst out of the uh, where the fence was and some of the trees, and it was running upright, came down the hill extreme, uh, in two steps, you know, where I would go really slowly down it because it was so steep. It just came flying down, hit the sand, completely dark all the way flew across this open 75 yards of sand and came up to where the the, the actual water of the creek was and it, it strides were really long and then right before it got to the water what was the cool part that I for I don't know why I remember this so well but it shortened its steps I guess to get a to, to get its jumping foot the right way, but it shortened its steps, jumped across probably 12-foot stream, and it made it, but the other side was a little steeper, and its foot just completely dug into that bank, all the, like all the way up to almost its calf, I guess, the area, and then jerked it out and continued back up and went up the other side, and I was just completely frozen, uh, stunned. I couldn't believe what I just saw. And uh, about right about that time that it that it hit that other side and went up, I heard the girl I was with said, who was that? I turned around and I said, did you see that? And she goes, yeah, who was that? Was it somebody messing around? And I guess I was smart because I did not say what I thought it could be. I just said, I don't know. I guess some people running around out here. I just went, I did not go up and come back. I just went and grabbed stuff with her. And then we walked back up 
and I was shaking. I was trying to kind of hide how scared I was and went up, got in Jeep, didn't see anything else and drove away. And I got up the next day and drove straight back there and went straight back to where I was and completely saw the, the area where dug into the bank. There wasn't any kind of any detailed of any kind of print or anything, but I just wanted to just see it in the daytime, make sure I wasn't uh, just trying to, you know, put stuff in there that I'd saw. But here's the, here's the crazy thing, uh, Wes, that makes me really believe that I actually saw one of these creatures because I wasn't able to see a lot of detail except that I thought that I saw a lot of hair. It was very dark and it was bipedal. It probably wasn't. It was probably my size or a little bit bigger. I certainly didn't notice that it was some eight or nine foot thing. Uh, it was probably about 30 yards, 25, 30 yards from me uh, at dusk. Here's the thing, though, that makes me know that I cannot say that it was a human. That sand is so deep, and when I say deep, it probably comes up. When you walk across it, you sink down probably six to eight inches uh, of your leg in it. And if you've ever walked in sand like that, coming down a sand dune or something, it's incredibly difficult to walk across that. that's why we would take our ATVs and Jeeps down there to go through it because it was, you could just do all kind of crazy stuff with vehicles because it was so deep. And lots of my friends were athletes in school, track runners. And I've seen them hundreds of times uh, moving around on top of that sand. And to say running across that would be difficult is an understatement. It's slow, plodding steps. The sand goes out from under your feet. So, and the speed at which this thing covered this was indescribable. It would have been the equivalent of, of a, somebody sprinting on a track speed. Didn't even react like there was deep sand there at all. And that's why I know that it wasn't just a normal thing. That that's what gave me that feeling, like man, you're seeing something that maybe that you're not supposed to see, or or it's just that that feeling inside that just instantly made my adrenaline spike. You know, where you start shaking. That's the part to me that that stuck with me the whole time is how fast that it moved, and that you know, I guess a tw- I don't know about a running twelve or fifteen foot jump. I'm I'm not sure if that's a super long jumper or anything like that. I, I'm not saying that's what was so amazing. It's just the speed at which it covered it is what stuck with me, you know, of how fast it was. Was it running on two legs the whole time? It was running on two legs the whole time. And arms were down by its side. It was not it was not pumping its arms like a runner would. You know how you know how you would you know a human running would would be using its uh, fist, you know, to pump in front of them when they run. This thing's arms are down by its side, which was weird as well. And it was huffing as it was running, so it it was making a very low, like a huh, 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 
like every time that it, that it breathed. So that's all I could hear. It didn't make any other kind of sound. It was just it was just breathing very heavy, and it had maybe a little bit of a sound to its breathing uh, that it would. You know, I look back on this now and all the things I know that I've, you know, listened to the show so many times and all this, and now I second-guess myself, you know, man, should I have called out, made a noise, tried to make it stop to where I could have seen it more? Uh, man, should I have, follow, you know, followed it kind of a thing? You know, I all these different things that, that come into my mind. Uh, of course, back then, there was no cell phones or or you know, digital cameras or any of that. Cause I didn't have any of that kind of stuff. You know, it was just a, uh, I don't even know how we survived without digital stuff back then, but we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I wonder, it's, it sounds like you almost startled the thing and it took off running. Yeah, like it was sitting there yeah. watching you guys and then you startled yeah, it. That's, that's what I thought of. I, I, that's exactly what I've always asked myself. Did, did we, was it watching us the whole time? Um, nothing that I can think of seemed weird ever. Uh, or maybe was it just one of those, maybe it was coming down to the water at the exact same moment that I was, you know, going to start walking back up and we just ended up crossing paths. I, I don't know. I don't know. The real the more the more I listen to different encounters and things like that about how aware they are of their surroundings, I probably would lean toward that it was watching us. And maybe when I got up and left, maybe it felt like I was maybe putting it in a corner of where it wanted to go or something like I I, I don't know that. I, unfortunately, I don't know enough about that, but just... Uh, pretty unbelievable i can't say a thousand percent that that's what it was because it was so fast and so dark uh that i couldn't see a face and i think that may be my main uh defining moment if i saw one uh but when i put my uh when i put all the arguments and asked all the questions it it, it just had to be just because of the of, of all the things i saw especially about how how fast it was, you know? Yeah. And that's the thing with, with when you see something like that, I mean, did your girlfriend at the time or the, the person you're with at the time, did she ever go, I don't think that was a person or did you guys ever talk about it when you left? No, I, uh, actually she still lives around this area and I, I probably ought to ask her at some point because I made sure that we did not talk about that once we got in because, Man, if I would have probably said what I thought it was, I would have been probably the first and last time I would have ever taken a girl down there. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No, I but uh, but it was, yeah, I very weird. I, I don't know. I, I, that's one of the things that I questioned myself. I, I should have said, hey, I should have asked her, what did, what did you just see? I just know she saw something because she said, who was that? And and I said, did you see that? And she said, who was that? And I said, I don't know. Probably somebody screwing around down here. Uh, but I knew good and well it probably wasn't somebody, you know. Uh, one other thing I can tell you, just besides knowing that it wasn't super, super tall, is it was very slim, too. It was not some wide 
thing that people talk about. It was it was definitely athletic and slim. Yeah, a lot of the reports I get from the that area that you're that you had your encounter in the Texas area in general, you don't really get the monster size Sasquatch. A lot of people describe them as kind of having a runner's build and being, you know, I would say six to maybe eight feet tall. Of course, there's always exceptions. You always have people that come forward and say, Hey, I saw King Kong. But I would say for the most part, the average size is between six and eight feet tall. And a lot of people describe them as being kind of a runner's build, not really, you know, bigger than an average person, but not huge you know what i mean not the bodybuilder right monster right well and that's that i would definitely say this was more of a a runner's build and i'll tell you one thing that maybe solidified my my uh opinion on what i saw is this was this was like you know 87 ish there and when i had already you know started in my work and I'd had kids and stuff like that. I actually was and actually when the internet kind of got popular, you know, and started being on the computer and looking up stories and stuff. I, I found probably around 2003, 2004, found the BFRO. And if, when I went on there and went to regional sightings and I pulled up Texas, uh, went down the counties by name and I found my county in 1997, so it would have been 10 years after I saw it, and somebody put an encounter, the exact same bridge in the exact same spot where I had mine, that that uh, somebody put an encounter of that on there. So I was like, wow. So that was that was pretty uh, pretty wild. I was like, man, I wonder if they saw the same one if there or. Or if there were other ones right there too, because it's uh, just right there by the same bridge that somebody saw saw one ten years later. Yeah, and it's interesting too down there in Texas. Going back to the size, uh, I get a lot of people who will contact me and go, "I don't know if I saw a Bigfoot, but I think I saw an overgrown chimpanzee." You know, mm. chimps aren't don't have the gorilla size to them, but that's right. interesting. So you found another people were having encounters in that exact same spot. Yeah. And then uh, I looked it up as well, and we have our neighboring counties, Goliad County, and found two people that uh, had separate uh, encounters there. My best friend that's a uh, pastor with me here has beautiful ranch in Carnes County in Kennedy, uh, which is uh, two counties over, and uh, they have not had anything per se there. Uh, but it's beautiful river bottom country, and I've been there, you know, hunting many times. I've hunted, like I said, at, at all in different areas of South Texas my whole life with my my dad and uncles and grandfather, and I, I've been very interested since I've become older of of trying to figure out what how these things would survive down here, and if just looking at the what is possible for them to eat, it makes perfectly good sense to me that they wouldn't be these heavy giant things because there's just how they would have to eat seasonally here. I I think they would have to be slim. Uh, And as hot as it gets, I think the whole 
everything about it, you know, I always wondered if they would have less hair here because it would be so hot and we have pretty mild winters, you know. So just a lot of questions that it asked me that I have. Um, I know back in the early 1900s, there was a legend around here called the Wild Man of the Navidad, which is another uh, river that goes through our area. And there was a five-year period of time where something was seen like crazy. There was a report. I, I think there was just, it was newspapers. Uh, people hunted it. Uh, it was a big, big legend around South Texas, and it was called the Wild Man of the Navidad. And, uh, you know, I've done a lot of research. They still have that when they have parades down here in the little towns. They have a person all dressed up in a Bigfoot costume, and they put it in a cage, and they say, captured wild man of the Navidad, you know, they have, so that, that was our big kind of legend down here, and, uh, you know, of course, I've heard rumors of what that was, and things like that, but I always, you know, just wondered if that was a creature that was, happened to have a lot of encounters with people back then, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. There's definitely a rich history down there of Sasquatch. And it's interesting, too, because down there, and, you know, the only thing I can really liken it to is, like, Washington State. It's kind of night and day when you talk to people. Down there, not a whole lot of people really talk about it. But there's this long history. I mean, if you get, if you really start digging in down there, you can find this long history of these, quote-unquote, wild men, just as much as you have here in Washington State. But it's interesting, too. But you're right, man. People don't. People will not talk about it. It's not something that you would just bring up here. Uh, and, you know, just from the standpoint of it's not normal conversation, but, you know, I've had plenty of relatives and friends that have cattle and, you know, just weird things happen that they automatically don't associate with with that creature. But But it very much could be, I guess, you know, like having cattle that they know are pregnant but then they show up and the calf is nowhere to be found kind of a thing farmers around here we have great deer population you know i i think it if they if they survive here in a, in a group that it has to be in the the river bottoms is what we call it here the flood plains where all the rivers are they just they just have to be there's no way they can move from from water sources like that just because it gets so dry uh, in the summer. So maybe they just move up and down South Texas through the river bottoms and migrate to where they find places, you know? Yeah. And going back to, you know, you being a pastor, I, and I'm sure you can see when a lot of people see how these things move, like what you witnessed and what your, your friend you're with, what she witnessed, how you see these things move. Sometimes people come right off and say it was paranormal. And and can't you see how people would say that after what you saw and what you experienced? Not that you think it's paranormal, but I mean, it right. moved so so freaking fast that it was like nothing you've ever seen before. Right. And I think as as humans we jump to that, but I, I really think these are a flesh and blood creature. You know what I mean? Especially in your yeah, situation, it it just sure. wanted to leave. It wanted out of there. And and I've I've read and listened to tons of encounters and things about the paranormal side of this and 
you know, I can I can def hundred percent tell you that there was nothing like that happened when I was standing there. I mean, I saw it. I saw sand move, and I saw where its foot. You know, it was not floating for sure. Uh, but I guess I can definitely see how people would think that, especially maybe if they never could see their feet because it was moving so fast, you know? And also, being a pastor, I've done just lots and lots of Bible studies and in and, and reading my Bible, I've researched, you know, a lot of different opinions on things. And I know you dedicated a show, and I enjoyed it very much, by the way, on the whole, uh, you know, the whole opinion of the Nephilim type uh, view on this thing and listen to some different people. And, you know, I don't really have an opinion one way or another on, on what that is. I think it's extremely interesting and, and I like to hear different viewpoints of that, but definitely in, in my quick little encounter there, there wasn't anything uh, paranormal about it. It was just something moving, breathing fast, you know? Yeah, just trying to get away. Trying to get away, and not not. I don't think it ever really looked at me. If it did, I certainly didn't catch it. If it did, it was in mid stride. Didn't react to me at all. Of course, I was like standing there with a picnic basket and a cooler and a probably a you know red and white checkered picnic uh, cloth looking like a moron standing there watching this thing. So I'm sure I didn't impose a threatening uh, uh, figure, you know, standing there. Yeah. No, I'm glad you liked the Nephilim show, man. I took a lot of heat for that Nephilim show. I, think, <laughs> I got the impression most people hated it. I think either people no, hated man, it. No, man, I liked it. Yeah. Or they loved it. I, you liked, know I loved it. I just loved it because I just, I just enjoy listening to you know, different views. I've heard, you know, you know, Ron Moorhead's uh, sounds and things. And, you know, I think he hesitates to go all in on an interview of what he thinks it is, but I've got a sense of a lot of people think that that's what this is, you know, you know, from the Bible, I mean, the Nephilim ruled the, ruled the planet. They were yeah. gods and demigods and these things are, wild animals i mean they aren't gods they aren't demigods yeah that's and, that's sort of my argument is exactly too that's what it was it certainly wouldn't be trying to eke out a living in the uh for, little scattered forests of the united states i don't think yeah and it sure as one it, it sure as heck wouldn't have ran from you if it was an actual nephew i mean they're gonna yeah, turn around well, there you go there you go yeah there you go um but you know there's there's just not that many things down here where I can, uh, I've often thought I have a friend of mine that's kind of, kind of into this as well. And we've thought about possibly having someone come down to speak and to see if we could try to get more people to, to come out with some encounters or something like that. We just haven't had, haven't had a chance to do any of that, uh, at all, but I certainly appreciate you uh, talking with me, man. I, I like I said, I'm a major listener of the show and and love listening to all the different encounters and stuff like that. I really, what I really love the most, man, is when you have someone on that uh, is in a maybe an authority type figure or you know police officer, or sheriff, or park ranger, or you've had some of those on before and talked about 
different things like that. It just, I like hearing that kind of stuff. I, I don't know if it adds a little bit of a, of, of, uh, authenticity to it when somebody has that sort of a job that, that when they have, you know, they talk about encounters and stuff like that, that you go, man, you know, makes, makes me think of a, that a lot of it's covered up as well. Yeah. And I think it is, you know, a lot of people you've heard in the past, they've asked to have their job titles not mentioned. You know, I've had aerospace engineers on, uh, I had one guy on and I won't say what show it was, but I'm, I'm sure the audience listening to him thought he was just some hillbilly from the backwoods. This guy was, a, you know, aerospace engineer. Uh, he worked for NASA for several years and all of that was left out of the show. Right. So a lot of those, you know, you're right. You get someone like that who wants to come forward and say, Hey, I saw this, this and this, but for whatever reason, don't, doesn't want to say what they do for a living. And I understand that. I get it. Sure. Um, it does add more to it. And I have been working to get more law enforcement on. They're just as tough to get on as hunters. I would say hunters are even harder to get on than people in law enforcement, to be honest with you. Right. Wow. I've never had any kind of experience hunting ever as far as that. I've seen a mountain lion once, which is really cool from my stand, but have not ever had any kind of thing like that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, as as many hours and stuff as I've spent in deer stands and trees hunting, and I never see anything, but then I have a picnic and I see something. That's about, that's about I guess, pretty, <laughs> that's about pretty typical. That's par for the course, man. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but just an anxious uh, person sitting here, just keep, keep, uh, keep watching and learning and, and seeing what's going on, you know? Yeah. Well, Skip, thank you for coming on. Thank you for uh, sharing your encounter. It was an interesting encounter to hear, and it's it's uh, it happens more than most people realize, and it happens to a lot more people that don't come forward. So thank you for coming forward and, and sharing your encounter. Oh, my pleasure, man. I, I really, really appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Next on the show, I want to welcome Jack McCarty. Uh, Jack is the author of Bigfoot Evidence, I Cannot Deny It, and it's available on Amazon as an ebook. I uh, highly recommend it. Jack, you got some great pictures in there. I enjoyed reading the encounters. thought you did a great job overall on the, whole, on, on the book. I really enjoyed reading it. Thank you. Appreciate it. And if you would, Jack, now you had two encounters. Let's start with the first one. Kind of tell us what you were doing. Walk us into what you saw. Yeah. Uh friend and I liked to bear hunt, and so we were headed out into uh, a part of the Rogue River wilderness, and we went way back into these old logging roads, and I had found uh, an old cabin back there and fruit trees, and they were, they're still, still alive and producing fruit, and they're fed by a little spring. So we were walking around there investigating and looking for bear sign, and uh, we came up upon a little, tiny little pond, kind of like the size of a kid's swimming pool. It had salamanders in it and stuff, and it's fed by a, a little spring. And so we kept walking up the road, 
and it had a lot of down trees across it, and the grass was kind of high. And where the spring is uh, were a lot of trees. And we noticed that there were a bunch of about 20-foot-tall trees that are on an inch and a half, two inches around that were just knocked down and pushed down to the ground and and just kind of torn up there. And so we kind of looked at that and then walked out farther, another 100 feet, and you could see a big, uh, like a pine tree farm that the Forestry Service has. And they fence them all and so they can collect seeds and that kind of thing. And off to the right was the Rogue River, about oh, 100 or 200 feet down the canyon. So we we came back and walked down the road and noticed that this area where the trees were down, uh, there were bear tracks there, and there was a, a huge hole in in the trees and the bush and stuff. And so we realized that that's, you know, that's a, a big bear that's playing around in there and tearing stuff up. And and so we started looking around more, and we came on to a, a human-type footprint that was, you know, I, I have a habit of carrying around a, a tiny tape measure and, you know, just kind of stuff so I can look at tracks and measure them. And this track was 17 inches long, six or seven inches wide at the toe mark. And it was sunk in the ground about an inch and a half or so. And it was just huge sitting right there. And and so we both looked at it and thought, wow, you know, there must be a couple bear in here. And one of them is just huge. And we noticed on a down tree that something had gotten on that tree and clawed bark in the back and in the front. And it was probably, I don't know, eight or nine feet apart where these scratch marks were. As we looked around, we saw some scratch marks about 12 feet up a standing pine tree. And so we just you know, kept looking around, found a couple more big footprints and and the forest was so thick there. This is in southern Oregon. Let me ask you, Jack, at this point, are you still thinking bear or do you have a knowledge of, of Bigfoot and you're thinking, okay, well, this isn't a bear, this is a Bigfoot? No, I'm really thinking this is just a giant bear. And they can get five, 600 pounds out in the forest. You know, if they're in a really old forest type setting where they're not harassed a lot, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking this is, you know, just a huge bear. We started using a varmint call to call in bear and, and cougar like like people use them for coyotes. And the forest was so thick that we didn't dare because it would have been on us, you know, without any notice. And so we uh, we just kind of left the area and kept wondering, what you know, what is this thing? And it, it probably wasn't until 
a year or two later that I was at a wild, uh, kind of an animal park on the coast of Oregon, and I'm looking at these big bear in this enclosure, and one of the workers came by, and and so I was talking to him, and I said, well, how big are those bears? He said, they're about 600 pounds of feet. And I looked at their hind feet, and they weren't any bigger than my size 10. So that's when I really started thinking, wow, you know, this is this is this a big foot footprint that I that we actually saw? And so it was uh, kind of the the start of of uh, you know us starting to look for more tracks and starting to investigate Bigfoot. Was this the same time when you on your way out that you saw the creature standing by watching you guys? No. No, that was that was a, a few years later, and we had gone into the woods to um, call for bear or cougar, whatever comes in, and and when they do, they they run in, and they're usually foaming at the mouth and you know popping their teeth and and they're hungry and they're coming in to eat this animal. Well, when we got done we were walking out and we took a different trail than we normally did. I noticed this pine tree that was probably 20 some feet tall, but it was broke off at about seven feet. I mean, just snapped off. It was probably three inches around and thrown off 20 feet away. And so we started looking around and found uh a track right at the edge where the toes kind of dug in the side of the trail. And I, I took pictures of it and I bent down and I stuck my finger in to feel those toes and they're bulbous just like ours. And it was, so then we started looking around and saw more tracks and they were 17 inches long and they had a six foot stride and we just, we're totally blown away by how big a stride it had, how big these were, and how it could just bust off a tree like that and throw it away. So when we got back in our vehicle, we were headed down the mountain, and I was a passenger, and I just kind of looking off the side of the road and at the trees, and we came to this big open area, and way down at the bottom, probably, oh, two, three hundred feet down. I see this monstrous Bigfoot standing down there. He had one arm around the tree, and he's got another arm out, and he's looking at us go by. And he was humongous. He had muscles, incredible muscles. And he was had a huge shoulders. And, you know, it was just, it was shocking is what it was. And what did you guys do? Did you guys stop? Or? Well, you know, by the time you get, you know, a car stopped and, and back, um, I didn't think he would be there. Because most animals, you know, they, they'll see you go by, they, you know, and you stop and back up, they're gone. And so I was so shocked, actually 
that I was telling my friend and he was kind of like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so we didn't stop and go back. I wish we had. Can you describe the creature? Can you kind of describe the, how close were you when you drove by? Oh, it was probably two or 300 feet. He was, he's still ingrained in my, in my brain. I would imagine if he was standing straight up, he was probably eight feet or more. He probably had, I'd say, a good three and a half, four foot wide shoulders. His muscles on his arms just bulged. Um, kind of like you see a gorilla's arms, how big and muscular they are. And he was hunched over and looking at us and, and, he was all covered in, in hair. He had kind of a, a, a roundish face. Um, I couldn't tell if he had a, like a cone head, like people say, because his head was kind of back and he was looking up at us as we went by. Just monsters. Now, I realize you're at two, three hundred feet. Were you able to get any facial details? Not real clear. And and we were driving by in the car, so it was just a, you know, a second or two. Yeah, uh, I think I didn't think you could, but I, I thought I'd ask anyway. You know, you never know when you zero in on, on that. Yeah. And your friend at the time, he didn't want to go back. He didn't. Well, we were probably a couple hundred feet down the road by the time I came to my senses and and started telling my friend, you know, you know, stop. I just, I think I just saw a Bigfoot. He didn't really want to stop, so. <laughs> yeah. And now you had another encounter in 2007. Yeah, that was, that was in Utah, central Utah. I had just kind of moved there. Uh, probably had been a year or so. We were out on our, on our four wheelers going for a ride up this, this creek. So we went as far as we could until we hit snow and, and kind of had some real challenges with the snow on the hills and and stuff. And so we turned around and the sun was just going down over the mountains and still kind of light, light enough, you know. And so as we were riding east uh, down along the creek, I came down a, a trail. And when I came down this, this trail that's right along, along the creek, and it's a small creek, probably six, eight feet wide, and I could see uh, a fish or two darting around in the ponds, you know, little pools. And as I came around the corner, I, I see, a, I see an arm outstretched. And I see the hair probably two or three inches hanging off this arm and it's all lit up by the sun so it's kind of a reddish golden color and so I followed the arm down and I saw its shoulder and then its stomach and then its 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 legs <laughs> and it was doing the same thing that the other one did it had an arm around the tree and it was kind of hanging out with an arm outstretched looking at, at me go by. I didn't really see a face on that one either. 
and it was kind of shadowy back there, and the sun was just lighting it up. I slammed on my brakes and threw it in reverse and went back, and and uh, it was gone. And I turned off my motor, and I just sat there for four or five minutes trying to see if I could hear anything or, you know, anything running through the brush, or, and, and there was nothing. I think it was a juvenile because it was about my size, about five six. I think it I think it might have just gone back into the into the trees there where it was dark because I didn't hear it running off. And normally you you'd hear any animal usually breaking branches or whatever as they run off. So you know, I, I know it's not it wasn't a bear because I've I've hunted bears for 25 years and I've seen him stand up and you know it it wasn't a bear it was a human type form I'm looking through the book I see the tracks of the bears I see the tracks of the Sasquatch you have some great evidence especially with the tree twists and some really good evidence that you have collected as you've had your sightings as you've looked into this is there something that you've come across that was unique to these creatures that you found out through investigating all of this? Well, you know, they're not like, like your, your regular bear or cougar or bobcat or any, any of the predators. I, I really think it's, it's a predator. It's at the top of the food chain. But the thing with a cougar or a bear, coyotes, whatever it is, if they make eye contact with you, they see you or smell you, they take off running, they're gone. You probably won't see it again. With uh, a cougar will also, though, if it thinks it's, it, it hasn't been seen, will hang out and watch you for until you make eye contact with it or shoot at it. But uh, And a Bigfoot will... Kind of hang out and do the same. I think I think they're really curious on what we do, and and they can use you know they can use their arms, their hands for tree knocking. You know they they whistle like a human does. You know it's 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 amazing how how human like they are. I mean they they can. They can throw stuff. They're they're much more intelligent in that way than a regular animal is out there. They can, you know, do do a lot of things that we can do. And so, you know, they they warn people with with the the stick knocks, with throwing stuff at, at you. They they'll even bluff charge you, like you know, other animals do. A a, a bear will bluff charge you, uh, an elephant will do that to scare you off. I think if you hang around after that, you're in serious trouble. It, it's just interesting how they live and, and they, you know, they break these trees and they, they point them in different areas. They, they just do a lot of stuff that normal animals in the woods don't. Do you still go out in the field? Oh, all the time. All the time. Uh, yeah, we actively go out as often as we can because, you know, 
for one day, I want to see another one again. And I I enjoy being out there and and seeing what's out there by looking at tracks and and just all kinds of evidence that's out there. I I really my buddy and I really like to go, and we we do it, and we still you know call in bear and mountain lion and and we've had Bigfoot come into that call. Uh, you know, they're, they're an animal. They're hungry. They do just what the bear and the cougar do. They're going to come in and take that animal that's dying away from whatever's killing it. Yeah. I think they're, they're opportunistic, just like a bear, just like a cougar, just like, uh, any, almost any predator really is opportunistic. They're going to come oh, yeah. in. On the blog, I posted this hair, some of these hairs that, um, Trey McAllister got from Tennessee and he had posted a lot of footprints, a lot of tree breaks. Uh, he had sent mm-hmm. me some pictures of hairs. Did you get a chance to look at those? Yeah, I did. I just watched it last night. What do you think about those hairs? Yeah, they're definitely unusual. I could see hair on a bob wire fence from an animal like that. You know, most most deer, like a bear, wouldn't go through a barbed wire fence, but a, a Bigfoot could probably step over that fence and leave hair. And so he said he had some of the uh, uh, was it follicle on it. So that's yeah, skin that's good, you know, DNA evidence. Yeah, and see, he's smart to go out with gloves and and baggies. I've carried Ziploc baggies for years and and collected scat and, and different things. And, you know, you just turn it inside out and grab it and sip it up. And, and uh, you don't, you know, destroy or damage the evidence. Well, yeah, and he even took him to a vet, had a vet look at him, and a vet was like, I have no idea what this thing is. I have no idea what this hair is. I've never seen anything like this before. And that's kind of the frustrating part. You know, when a lot of people come come across evidence and Trey did a great job out there with the way he collected the evidence and, and taking pictures. And he was explaining where he found this, where he found that. Yeah. But at the end of the day, what do you do with all of that? What do you do with the evidence? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that. See, that's the hard part is that, you know, if you, what do you do? If, unless you're rich, you know, you really can't do a whole lot with it. Even if you're rich, though, you go and have it tested, and it comes back as, let's just say for the sake of argument, non-human primate, or primate, or let's say it comes back human, whatever anyone out there wants to call it, uh, then then what do you do with it? Well, that's it, you know, and if, if, uh, you know, it's going to take somebody to shoot one and bring it in. What's going to happen to it at that point, who knows, but... Personally, I wouldn't shoot one unless it was attacking me. Uh, because I know they're out there. I know they're real. And I don't need to prove that to, to really to anybody. And, and, but it's going to take one for people to actually look at it and some of these scientists and, and, you know, forensic people to look at it, test it and say, oh yeah, this is a Bigfoot. Otherwise, what do you do with it? I mean, I've had lots of scat that I brought home and stuck in the freezer. 
and uh, and those kind of things. But after a year or two years, you think, well, do I really need this stuff in my freezer? Right. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> I think that would have been my first question before I put it in the freezer. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know it's and that's the thing is like what do you do with evidence you know and I, and I get a lot of heat I get a lot of heat for saying that one needs to be shot but at the end of the day one needs to be shot I hate to say as I'm you got to be careful shooting one but I'm starting to go off John Green's what John Green used to say if you see one you should shoot it and shoot it with double op buck and then go finish it off with a slug Uh, and and drag it in i mean that's it's very and it's sad it's fresh don't you think it's frustrating i mean you're you're obviously a hunter you're a woodsman uh you've you've tracked bear i can see it in your book where you've tracked bear you track cougar have you tried tracking these things down and getting video evidence of them i realize video evidence isn't uh going to be the end-all be-all Right. But have you ever thought about, hey, I'm going to track this thing down and I'm going to try and get it on video? You know, I have. I mean, I've got a bionic ear. I've got go cameras. You know, I've got big cameras with, you know, video on it and everything. My, my challenge is getting somebody to go with me to follow that thing. <laughs> you know, after they see the tracks and or see one, you know, they don't really want to go track it down and get pictures of it. So I would love to. I mean, I'd follow tracks in into the woods. Yeah, that would that would be awesome to to be able to do that. After your two sightings, you know, everyone has a theory on what these these things are, and there's no right or wrong answer. But what is your theory after you've had your two sightings? looking at the tracks, looking at some of the evidence that you've looked at, some of the evidence you've actually put in your book, what have you theorized at this point? Well, I, you know, again, I think, I think they're a predator. I think they're just a, an animal like any other animal that's put here on this earth that serves some kind of purpose. I don't know. And I think it's here to, to do what, whatever it's supposed to. I mean, it's uh, definitely the top predator in the woods. It knows how to hide. It's very sneaky and, and sly, and it'll sit and watch you. It'll chase you away. It, you know, it does a lot of the same things that the other predators do. I, I go out in the woods all the time. You hardly ever see a cougar or a bear. Uh, I mean, I've caught them, you know, just kind of by accident, come around a corner and see, seen them. But, you know, they know the minute you get out of your car when you're in the forest, any animals anywhere within hearing distance know exactly where you are and, and that you're human. And so they can smell you. And, and so, you know, when we go into the woods, we go in full camouflage. We use cover scents and and uh, a dirt scent and something to kill your body odor. Sometimes we use a skunk scent around us, something to kill that human odor. And when you do that, 
you can go in and sit down and watch or try to sneak him. And, you know, you, you might get lucky enough to sneak up on something, but they know you're here and they know exactly where you are by, by just hearing the noises in the woods. I, I've seen this with lots of animals that we've called in. Uh, one of the big things is, is that they, the blue jays over on the west coast or the magpies here, uh, or squirrels, gray squirrels over in the, in the west coast. As soon as they see a predator, they start to squat or, or chirp or make all kinds of noise and they will actually follow that predator. And so I've, I've had them do that with me. As I've walked in the forest, they'll see me and start doing that. You know, and that's a, a warning sign to, to all the animals out there. You know, the predators over here. So run. Have you ever come across any structures? I haven't. Or, or if I had, I wasn't sure, you know, what it was. But I haven't seen any that just, uh, you know, stand right out at me. I've seen uh, your Anthony, I think it was Maffet, showed those uh, teepee structures. And, and I'm sure they're out there. I just haven't seen one. Yeah, one of the parts of your book, you talk about Sasquatch eating, was it pine nuts? Yeah. I, I took a report one time. I think a lot of people sometimes are interested in what uh, Bigfoot eat. I took a report one time. A guy said he, he saw a Sasquatch. His description was right on, but he was a hunter, and he said it was eating the bark off a tree. And I was like, really? That seems kind of odd to eat the bark off a tree. And Yeah. Um, yeah, it was sitting there eating eating bark. And I remember I was talking to uh, Bob Garrett, and I forget there's some bark that you can actually put in a stew where you can – you can boil it and then drink the the stuff that comes off of it, and it's actually medicinal. Yeah, uh, it's good. It's good for pain. It's good for, and I don't want to misquote Bob, but I forget which what he said exactly it was. But um, and I just thought that was interesting. You know, I've never heard of an encounter where they eat bark, but I think they anything out there in the wild, I think they're going to eat. I'm with you. I really think it's a predator. Yeah, and you know, I had a really strange experience here a few years ago. We were out elk hunting and we went to an area that where we could see, see a big a open mountain range with some junipers and a steep mountain. I could hear a, a knocking noise. So I pulled my uh, bionic ear out and I, I didn't have a digital recorder at the time. I wish I had. But I heard this, I heard a sharp knock and then a few seconds later, three or four muffled, you know, kind of thing, you know. And I thought, what is that? So we listened to it. And then every once in a while, we hear hear a bark, just sound just like a dog. So I thought, oh, there's got to be somebody camped up there and, and uh, you know, chopping wood or something. So we kept listening to it. And I had a brother that was way up on the mountain in his four-wheeler, and he, he came back down and uh, and stopped talking to us, and I said, so 
anybody on the mountain? He said, no, there's two guys way over on the other side. I said, is there somebody camped right up here? Because he knows that area really well. He said, there's nobody camped over there. So I said, well, listen to this. So he listened to it. And then we had a whole pack of coyotes start barking and, and stuff. And then they quit. And then we kept hearing the sharp knock and then three or four muffled marks and nothing for a few, for a minute. So I asked him, I said, what do you think's going on up there? And, and then it dawned on me. I said, I said, wait a minute, are the pine nuts ripe right now? So we walked around, found a tree and sure enough, the, the uh, pine nuts were ripe. So this is just my theory. I think, we had a Bigfoot up there that was knocking the cones out of the tree, smashing the cones up, and eating the pine nuts. And that's what he was doing. And I think he was barking once in a while, hoping to get a coyote or something to come over and, and grab him. I mean, that's just, you know, you're, you're out there in the woods and you hear these weird things and you have to sit and think, what could possibly be making that noise? You know it's not a bear or deer or elk. And so and if it's not a human, what is it? Right. Was this all during the time when you had your camper rocked? No, that was another another whole episode in a different area of Utah, but yeah, that that made my brother sit up and realize that, you know what, something to what his crazy brother's talking about is 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 real. Because we had gone out, he had he had kept telling us, come over and let's call in these coyotes because there's a ton of coyotes over here. And so we went. He he bribed us with a Dutch oven dinner. So <laughs> we went over. We kind of called from there, you know, just to see if we could hear any coyotes in the area. And then went up, oh, half a mile from where he was camped and he'd been up there cutting firewood. So we were driving up this road and seven or eight deer came flying out of the junipers right towards us. We even had to stop and then turned off and ran a different way. My buddy and I thought that's really strange. Normally the deer would run away from you, not right at you. And so we went a little farther, got out, went and hid in some trees and and called for 15 minutes or so and didn't hear any coyotes, didn't get any kind of reaction at all. So it was starting to get dark. So we went back and to where his motorhome was. Always stood out there talking by this giant wood pile he had and uh, turned to go in to, to eat. And I, I, tripped over a piece of firewood and fell down and hit my head and tore a little skin off and some blood got on this piece of firewood. You know, I got up embarrassed and brushed myself off and we went in and ate. And after that, we went out and it was dark. He wanted us to call to see if there were any coyotes because he kept saying there's tons of coyotes over here. We never saw one. So we called for a little bit and then left, and I left him with a call. I said, well, here's a call. You, you know, 
call them in if they're here. And so he called me the next morning. He said, you know, last night after you guys left, it was probably half an hour later, we had a bunch of coyotes come in. They were running all right around the motorhome. Normally they don't do that. He said, then all of a sudden they were gone. And I heard something out by my truck. And then I, I heard uh, some pieces of firewood being thrown all over. He said, and the next thing he knew, something hit his motorhome. He had an old motorhome. It was a big old Dodge 20-some-foot motorhome. He said it shook the whole motorhome and even the step on where the door was by where it slammed into it uh, rattled. And he flew out of bed with his gun and he was thinking, if this thing's coming in after me, I'm just going to shoot through the door. <laughs> and, and then he decided to turn his generator on, hoping to scare whatever it was off. And uh, so, you know, the thing is that with this, with this call, we've had numerous times after we've left an area. Uh, for example, we were in Oregon calling. We left, walked probably three-quarters of a mile down to our friends' uh, horse corrals and looked at the horses and, and then walked through back to his house. Well, the next day, he went out to feed his horses, and one of his horses had claw marks on it. And so the thing is that these animals can pinpoint right where that noise is coming from. And whether they come in right now or come in later to investigate and to see if there's a dead animal there. You know, so things happen, you know, after, after we've done it, they call is there a particular wounded animal that you call? Yeah, it, it's it's a William Carlton call, and it's a bear call. It sounds like uh, a, a dying rabbit, just like a, a coyote call would, but it's really loud and really raspy, and it can carry in the right spot. It can carry that sound could carry a mile. And so the thing is, you go in and you call for up to an hour because it may take that animal that long to get to you. You know, it's interesting. I had a guy on from Oklahoma, and he did a, he said it was a dying, it's a cross between a dying rabbit and a dying bear. And he uh -huh. did, was doing this call, and he said he was doing it for about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting in the bush just waiting. Um, I don't know if you heard the show or not, but this guy's a professional mm -hmm. game game hunter. Uh -huh. And what he said, what he saw coming was basically he's describing a dog man. First, it walked up on all four legs and then it stood up on two legs and was trying to find where that call was coming from. That's why I asked you that. That's interesting because he said almost word for word, that's the same type of call he uses. And it brought this thing in. It's, it's probably Wayne's bear call. You know, the last time we went out and called, uh, I don't know how many months ago it was. October, I think it was. My buddy was, was standing there because we always go with two people. Never go using that call with one because, uh, it works so well that, you know, one person standing there 
is not really a threat to these animals. Two people, they really think about attacking you. But um, we were calling, and he said that he saw something big and black. At first, he thought it was a, a young cow walking down the road on all fours. He said then it took off into the trees, probably 100 feet away from us, and walked around probably oh, 100 and some feet away in the tree line and growled kind of a, he said it was kind of a, like a, a yell growl noise that he heard. I didn't hear it because I was blown on that call. And then he didn't hear anything else. It really shook him up because he said, I've never heard a bear do that. Bear usually come in and they'll pop their teeth and, and growl at you. But he said he'd never heard this, this uh, noise before out in the woods. I think it does. I think you got to be careful for, for people out there listening. Be careful before you start going out and doing calls like this. <laughs> I'd say stay armed before you do a call. Yeah, you, you, know, you really need to. Yeah, sorry. Because I can tell, I already know, people are going to go out and try it. And uh, I hope they do try it, but be careful because you, it's like I always say, be careful what you wish for because you might just call something in that you were trying to call, but then you have a moment of, oops, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, yeah, because you never know what's going to come in to those calls. I mean, you're calling and acting like you're a dying animal, and they come in because they think it's an easy kill. Take it away from somebody and, and eat it. And they mean business. And, you know, if, if somebody's interested in doing this, you need to go in and buy a Wayne Carlton call and it comes with a CD and it shows you what it can do. And so you'll, you'll realize that. I mean, I take pepper spray, big can of bear pepper spray that shoots big pieces of peppers out of it and I take my 44 I don't use a rifle anymore because it's too close so yeah and you never go by yourself to do that ever no you're absolutely yeah. right it's just not a smart thing to do Jack thanks for coming on the show I really appreciate it appreciate you sharing your your stories and again the book is Bigfoot Evidence I Cannot Deny It uh, by Jack McCarty Jack it's a great book you, you have a lot of great pictures in there you have a lot of great evidence that you, you. collected, and um, uh, it's available on Amazon. So if you get a chance, it's a good read. Yep. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good day. That wraps it up for tonight. Again, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, email me, Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. I will see you next time.
Mm-hmm. 